Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. Today I have with me Hannah Lee. She is a doctoral candidate in the field of counseling psychology. And we got a chance to have a conversation about her dissertation, which is on intergenerational trauma. It's a fascinating conversation. I had a, a great time talking about it because I think it affects our community in a very direct way. Um, the, our community, meaning the Korean American second generation. So, yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. It's been a while, but I uh, hope you enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope to Hear This podcast. It's been a while, but back in a new house. Um, we 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 were originally supposed to do this in like January, right? Mm-hmm. And then, Something like that. Yeah, and then <laughs> um, like yeah, we were trying to get moved in. We were doing renovations in the kitchen and all that, mm. so it was rough. But mm-hmm. we are here. Um, yes. There, are, the fan is going. Um, it's really hot in this house, although it is February. Mm. Um, so if you guys hear background noise, I'm sorry, but we will not be turning off the fan. <laughs> I don't want us to get heat stroke in this room. So, uh, yeah. So, Hannah, um, well, first of all, uh, thank you for coming on. Mm-hmm. And um, nice seeing you in person because it was like episode like 50 that we did it. Mm-hmm. Maybe even before that. Yeah. And it, actually, no, maybe after because it was during COVID mm-hmm. and we had to do it via Zoom. Yes. And so you're here in live for the first time. Yes. So, um, I, I think last time we talked, you were like doing your PhD mm-hmm. um, you're kind of in the middle of it but mm-hmm. through social media I'm seeing that you might be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel soon yes, yeah? yes. So can you just give us an update of uh, kind of yeah. where you are yeah. yes so I am wrapping up um, I have about a year left and so what that will look like though isn't kind of the traditional like studying and you know going to classes and um, even seeing like patients or clients more infrequently. So what I have left is a one-year clinical residency internship, mm. um, and then I have my chapter two of my dissertation left. And oh. So that, and then we defend that, mm-hmm. and then they shake your hand. They're like, "Congratulations, doctor!" Blah blah blah. That's awesome. So yeah. I'm sorry. Just for a little mm-hmm. bit of background, your study is in. Mm. So uh, I'm a I'm studying to be a counseling psychologist, um, but my research and clinical interests are for Asian American mental health mm-hmm. at large. Mm-hmm. My dissertation is on intergenerational trauma for Korean and Korean American families. That is such an interesting topic. <laughs> so are you like interviewing people? Are you like, oh, how are you kind of carrying out your research? Yeah. So the chapter two of my dissertation is a randomized control trial. And so those are like big words, but basically I'm creating an intervention uh, created to like help folks that have experienced intergenerational trauma or want to heal from that experience. Um, And the research aspect of it is me seeing if my intervention was effective. Oh, wow. So for those of us who are not, well, not not us, for those of the people who are listening who do not know what intergenerational trauma is, can you mm. kind of briefly describe what that looks like? Yeah. Um, and because yeah. I'm, I'm assuming there's many types, but there are specific ones for the Korean American community, right? Yeah. So, so at least in the field, intergenerational trauma is understood kind of as a 
conglomeration of a few types of traumas. Okay. And so there is his, there are historical traumas. That's kind of a category. Mm-hmm. And then there are things that are cultural traumas. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of this research, the literature um, started with descendants of folks from the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And so, right, like that's a historical trauma because of the historical impacts that it had yeah. um, on the Jewish people. And then um, for cultural traumas on the ways that it impacted this whole like group, you know, in a, right. di- in a very different way. So historically, you see um, folks from that generation like move and it, it impacted a lot of kind of their like ways of being, you know, yeah. and then um, and then culturally, it really had profound effects on how uh the Jewish people experience their day-to-day lives, mm-hmm. but it changed this like whole group of people, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's how intergenerational trauma is understood. It's when one one um, one like lineage of folks experience mm-hmm. this historical event, mm-hmm. um, but it had impacts for generations to come. Wow. Um, and so the literature says that intergenerational trauma usually affects like up to three generations. And um, wow, yeah. So there's lots there so people grandparents of or grandchildren of Mm -hmm. people who experienced the holocaust Mm -hmm. firsthand will they would have a lasting impact because of what their grandparents went through yes wow so in that research what what types of like trauma presented itself because they obviously didn't go through it firsthand Mm -hmm. but like so was it like the similar things that they were going through or Yeah, so um, it really depends, again, on the historical event, but Uh something like that, right, such like genocide, right? Right. Um, It really impacts the way that you see well-being and quality of life. Mm. So a lot of folks are very, like, survival mentality, even that survival mentality, right? And we're hearing the themes of what might impact the Korean people, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But, right, the way that you look at how to raise your children, right? Um, How you prioritize what is important when you're rearing them mm. um the mic is rolling away from oh, i'm sorry oh, <laughs> it's I'm okay sorry. it's okay <laughs> I, uh, you're good yeah. no worries okay okay <laughs> yeah i was like whoa <laughs> sorry guys first time in a long <laughs> yes, time <laughs> tech issues. sorry yeah no um so right like so when you are even like so when you're parented in a way where like you have to hoard money or yeah. you have to compete be competitive um and everything is about financial security right like so, mm. again right we're hearing some themes that yeah. might be applicable to us yeah. um when you lived in such danger and threat to your life and um well-being that is the way that it gets passed on. So a lot of folks that are generations past the actual historical trauma, mm. um, folks are chronically stressed, which mm. you know leads to hypertension and strokes. A lot of physical, um, physical ways. Okay. But there's a spec. There, there's like an aspect of trauma called. Of a, it's like a, the study of trauma, and it's um, called epigenet- epigenetics. Mm-hmm. And so the descendants of folks with uh, intergenerational trauma, their genes actually change too. Yes. Really? Yes. Wow. Yeah. So lots of lots of things going on. So not only is the things your grandparents went through impacting you mentally, but also physically as yeah. well. Wow. Yes. So okay, then let's let's bring this to the Korean American um, context, right? Because mm-hmm. I believe some of us might have grandparents that kind of lived through the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Timing right, timing wise, I think it's, yeah. So yeah. do you think we are 
do you see in the like Korean American mm. community specifically that that there are lingering effects of the war? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So, um, so. In my literature review, uh, that kind of led up to me justifying why I was doing this intervention in the first place, mm. even though it's like severely understudied. Mm. Um, so some of the things that will imp- that are called that are considered traumas is the Korean War, the Japanese occupation mm. that was that was right before the war, mm. and then even immigration. So um, right, and that gets a little bit complex because largely it's our parents, our parents' generation that are right. first generation immigrants. Um, um, but that's kind of compounded trauma with and it just introduces a lot of complexities. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> we already have trauma from the war and occupation and uh-huh. po- being so impoverished, right? Being so op- oppressed. Mm-hmm. And then you um, you put into this like the immig- immigrant experience, you yeah. know, that causes chronic stress and like feelings of marginalization. Mm-hmm. And then and then you have us, right. you know. <laughs> yeah. So what's the trauma that we're going to pass down? <laughs> to our kids <laughs> well yeah. i think it depends um you know it, it really is it's such a it goes from like the macro to the micro mm-hmm. but there it's really ecological because all the all of that influences each other mm. um i don't have kids mm-hmm. but for you mm-hmm. david uh-huh. um a lot of it is like difficulty communicating with uh with our kids right Mm. and so even i have or i had a couple of families that i was doing counseling with and the the language barrier is one thing but i think the ways that are you know that folks that are in the parent generation and the like child generation Mm. communicate is so different right Mm. and a lot of that is the immigrant experience like Mm. first generation immigrant immigrants um have such a different experience of their life in america as opposed to like our kids who are in elementary middle high school you know so there's a lot there wow so if we as you're like interviewing people um are there things that if the listener is a Korean American second generation person, mm-hmm. things that they should be looking out for, things mm-hmm. that kind of are like thematic in, in the way that we like live. <laughs> yeah. So um, a lot of it is so something that came um, up was for the second generation was um, over tolerance to distress. And that was specific for the uh-huh. Korean American community. Uh-huh. Um, we have that survival mentality that like, yeah. well, my parents suffered so much, they struggled, they didn't even speak English, but they were able to have successful businesses mm. or you know what have you. So w- if I'm feeling really anxious or if I feel lost or if I feel depressed or anxious, you know, like what whatever it is, mm. I have to like grind my way through it or mm. grit my teeth through it and mm. first because that's like what i learned from my parents when they were in distress yeah. but also i don't feel like i deserve to feel like i'm having a hard time mm. you know so that is that is something that was really big that came up interesting so because honestly like one of the i actually think and this might be because of the way i was raised but mm-hmm. i actually think that in a lot of ways that could be like a positive thing right mm. you know the Um, Because you know how, like, millennials, like Mm -hmm. our generation, Mm -hmm. we always get, like, made fun of, oh, you guys don't have the grit, you guys don't have Mm -hmm. the grind, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, when I see my peers kind of in our community, Korean-American community, Mm -hmm. like, who are able to power through certain things, I'm like, oh, that's because of the way that we were raised. Mm -hmm. So I've only, like, thought about it in, like, a positive way, but Mm -hmm. what are some of the, like, 
negatives of being too tolerant of of those like distressing situations yeah so it for me and and this is not like scientifically based but in Mm. my own opinion Mm. it comes up in two two ways Mm. um first of them are obviously mental health issues Mm. when you are having what could what is very clearly clearly diagnosable Mm. mental health disorders Mm. um people don't you know, access mental health care, and um, mm. they feel like they could, they should just be able to pray it away, yeah. or because you know a lot of us are in churches and right. those kinds of communities, spiritual communities, um, or, or they just feel like whatever it'll be fine, you right. know. And then um, when those folks end up coming to people like me, mm. um, mental health professionals, like the issue is this big as mm. opposed to like you know it could have been like smaller uh, you know right mm-hmm. oh yeah gosh yeah that's true yeah no i'm just like kind of thinking back on my life mm-hmm. and um there are definitely many situations where i kind of powered through things that mm. i don't think i necessarily needed to mm. and i think that's probably what led up to like anxiety and things mm-hmm. like that later mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. um so okay yeah you've convinced me (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and a lot of that i think leads to unnecessary isolation as well Mm. the um right because a lot of us have a tendency to kind of draw back when Mm. we when things are really hard and it's a universal truth right that life isn't easy all the time um but when that happens we don't access right there's like shame and guilt involved with wanting help either from professionals or even from our friends and family Mm. but it exacerbates those symptoms right Mm. so like anxiety and depression and low self-esteem um difficulty for advocating for yourself even in kind of the professional spaces Mm. which are very characteristic of asian americans um and so i think I, I like what you said in terms of like we want to be able to preserve that grit, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes we swing too severe in the pendulum, right, you know? So right. it's like we complain about everything or we complain about nothing, yeah. and it's like like a lot of folks are lost in the middle. Mm, yeah. yeah, and I think that is part of the Korean-American experience. It's mm-hmm. trying to figure out the middle mm-hmm. because we look at our parents and like they don't tell us anything mm-hmm. like I, I'm, I'm i'm sure some parents do but my parents mm-hmm. they i grew up thinking like our family and our extended family was all perfect and mm-hmm. nothing was wrong it wasn't until i became an adult where they started telling me about all this like family drama <laughs> and like the, all the uncles and cousins yeah. and things like that and i'm like wow like you you guys like just kept that all from me and like all the mm-hmm. like stress and everything like thinking back mm-hmm. there were moments where my dad like kind of blew, would like blow up on me out of yeah, nowhere yeah and i'm i'm pretty sure it was like s- built up stress because like mm. it was like something like a really funny story is like me my brother and my mom we went to korea we mm-hmm. came back and like the day we came back i like sat on the couch i turned on the tv and the tv like just wasn't working mm. and my dad like blew up on me like it was working fine before you wow. came like what did you do wow. and then, later on we just found out the cable went out mm-hmm. and it had nothing to do with us mm-hmm. and i remember like me and my mom like sitting down like trying to figure out like why was he like what like is the tv that important kind yeah. of thing. like he saw me for yeah. the first time in like two months and yeah and he's he's never told me what the reason was but i'm sure it must be something that like he was stressed out at work or something yeah well what was that experience like for you like having experienced him blowing up or Mm -hmm. right like um reacting what was that like for you when you were going through it so i was in middle school at the time Mm -hmm. and it must have been impactful because i still remember it Mm -hmm. you know like i like vividly remember Mm -hmm. it was at night 
I remember it was at our like old house that we were living in. I even remember like what channel I was trying to watch. Yeah. I was trying to watch Nick because Nickelodeon. <laughs> like I haven't seen yeah American Nick TV. at night. Yeah, was awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, like I I need to watch some TV with some yeah. English in it. Yeah. For, so um, yeah, I, I think it was. Uh, mm. Like I don't know, I don't necessarily want to say it traumatized me. Sure. Because I don't know if that's true or not. Like I don't know that it like oh like I I'm like scared to turn on TVs now. Like it's like mm-hmm. nothing like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it I guess it it just it was an impactful experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like I would imagine that you were probably confused. That you know oh, that yes. would make a lot of sense. Yes, very confused. Um, confused and fearful, mm-hmm. and so, right because like this authority figure of the home and the household mm-hmm. is having this like very large reaction, and you have no idea why. And when fear and confusion are mixed together, it does create for a very um, impactful experience. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I'm not surprised that that's like a memory that has stayed with you mm-hmm. um, because it probably shaped the way that you like had previously seen your interactions and your you know relationship with your dad Mm -hmm. um but another thing that's like interesting is uh the one kind of lurking evil with intergenerational trauma is something called the conspiracy of silence and so i think that is a very common experience for folks you know that are in the millennial generation Mm. um our parents didn't tell us a lot about what they were going through um but that first of all didn't mean that we weren't like aware of their of them being stressed or of their being tension you know but they're kind of um lack of conversations with us about it i think just created this like creates this elephant in the room and this prolonged um tension that Mm. leads to chronic stress you know like especially when you're when you're a child Mm. and you know that there's something wrong for your parent like oh dad is not okay like Mm -hmm. mom is not okay um they, they keep living with that anxiety until it's kind of communicated to them, you right. know? And obviously, you don't have to tell your child, like, this from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., this is exactly what happened. Right, right. But maintaining this, uh, this um, desire for silence in the home is actually mm. very toxic for it. And especially to do with our traumas, you know, our parents' generation or even our grandparents, for our parents, I think their desire to not tell them exactly what they've been through was to protect them mm-hmm. but um, it actually ended up creating this rift between the parent and child generation even for adult children mm-hmm. where they never felt like they really knew or understood their parents and in return they never felt like they were known or huh. you know like understood by them too that that is so interesting because mm-hmm. i guess another kind of a uh, trait that i was taught like observationally mm-hmm. is like you don't really want to tell your kids that much mm. like you want to I, I guess the positive spin on it was always like, i don't want them to worry unnecessarily mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. um yeah my i could exactly like what you're saying i could mm-hmm. always tell when my parents are stressed out mm-hmm. i just never knew the reason yeah, yeah even even to this day like yeah. most of their stresses I'm going to assume it was finance related mm-hmm. just because my dad was a business owner. But yeah. like, I don't know. They've never told me. Yeah. Um, and I mean, my, my kids are easily is uh, she's talking now and everything. So she understands. So I could communicate a lot with her. But mm. um, I, I, I don't think I should be telling her like, oh, man, work was so stressful today, like yeah. every day or anything like yeah. that. But yeah. um, I, I guess I do have the ability to tell her like 
like the things I'm like experiencing mm-hmm. and going through. Mm-hmm. But I guess I only highlight the positive stuff. Mm. Um, and I don't want to, um, like I, I came back from a business trip yesterday and it was like a 6 a.m. flight. So oh, I had to wow. wake up at like four Ugh, to get to the airport no. and all that. But then when I saw Easley, I was like, oh, I came early just because I went to see you. Um, and then like I kind of just powered through the tiredness of like like playing with her and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure she could tell I w- like something was off mm. because I was like like laying down a lot and mm. like not as animated when I play with her as mm. I usually am. So I wonder if it would have been helpful for me to say, oh, listen, like I came back from a uh, I had to wake up really early, mm. so I'm, I'm really tired. So mm. I'm gonna be a little bit slower today. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if that would have been helpful. Yeah, yeah. I think um, you know because tiredness is a is an experience mm-hmm. that easily probably knows mm-hmm. what that feels like and so yeah i think you modeled that really great like you know daddy is tired these mm. are the reasons why i'm tired but i still want to play with you i still am here mm. um but like right so teaching the child to be empathetic right mm. that's empathy and and um they now learn how to do that with other kids, right? When they're able to have that kind of relationship with their parents too. Mm. Um, I also am not a proponent of like, you should be friends with your children. You right. know what I mean? Like, like, guess what happened today at work? And you know what, <laughs> what fill in the blanks. Right. Um, but I think for them to just understand what is going on for you mm. in a way that it still makes it connect back to the connection you want to have with Mm. your child like i'm tired but i still do want to be here right Mm. and making that really explicit um it teaches them empathy for you and for others um, but it also teaches them how to communicate what's going on for them right Right. so when they are a parent or with their colleagues or coworkers or their friends they're also able to right communicate some of these things that Mm. i don't think we're taught very um like intentionally you know yeah yeah wow so there's yeah i'm just as we're as you're talking about these things there are so many little things that i am thinking about that i do that is a result of what i've learned from my parents that probably they've taught me as a result of what they saw their parents going through yeah so do you think um because i I see just globally, the trend is usually something really bad happens in the country and there's a lot of immigration, whether it's like just immigration in general or like refugee situation, mm-hmm. a lot of like moving, right? So is are, are you aware of any studies that kind of um, look at the impact of that compounded generational trauma? Yeah, yeah. So for the Korean American community specifically, I mean, there was a mass, um, there was mass immigration first, like right after the war. Mm -hmm. And there was also large, large bodies of immigrants in the 1980s. Um, And so when there was, so when there was immigration after the war, uh, when it ended in 1950, it was a lot of brides so a lot of korean women who got Mm. married to american soldiers Mm. so that was kind of the first wave of korean immigration Mm. Um, i mean koreans have been here since like the 1700s 1800s because they were brought for labor to Mm -hmm. work on the railroads and stuff along with chinese american folks Um, but if you really want to kind of see it in like big waves that's when it started in the 50s Um, Mm. and then in 1965 there was an immigration like past law and it bought it banned immigrants that were trying to move who weren't white collar workers so doctors huh. engineers you know lawyers and so folks from you know working class 
uh, were not able to come. And so uh, when that was lifted in 1965, that um, that helped a lot with immigration as well. And Mm. then in the 80s, right, there was a lot of economic things with the IMF and stuff like that in Korea, also a big wave of immigration. Mm. And so, yeah, when things have happened in Korea, there have been a lot of movements to the U.S. And, you know, um, we're we are sold the American dream even that has a lot of historical implications in it because right America was seen as this like savior to Koreans you know and um kind of feeding from that narrative I think Koreans were like oh there is hope right uh because it was so difficult to live in Korea then and then I think a lot of folks got here and experienced right also the trials and tribulations of being an immigrant and and that was hard in and of itself Mm. yeah gosh so, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you kind of interviewed families. Oh, no, for my study. Or, or you, you've mm-hmm. talked with families about mm-hmm. things. So I know you can't mm-hmm. get into specifics, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, in your experience, um, what are some of the, the things that our parents um, are going mm-hmm. through that we might not be aware of? Yeah, so like one family stands out to me specifically and so i was seeing them in um like clinically i was doing therapy with them Mm. and they actually came because the two daughters in the family um were fighting like violently and these are little girls Uh they're they're both in elementary school um Uh it's a couple years ago so second and fifth grade or something Uh like that but violently Mm. fighting and um when i did a little bit of just the intake process and talked to mom so she had a history of like suicidal ideation and severe depression And the mom and the two girls were living away from dad who lived in Alabama because he was working Uh, there, right? uh And so you already kind of see how these things could be really um, challenging. Mm. But when I asked a little bit kind of into the mother and daughter's relationship, um, she had a lot of, a lot of the dynamic was characterized by like making them compete for her affections. Interesting. Yeah, so, um, Mm. you know, like, like if, older daughter brought uh, mom kyul, you mm-hmm. know, tangerines f- and like, and was like, oh, like, mm-hmm. and was like, you know, you must be tired. Um, like the next time the girls were fighting or needed to get in trouble, like mom would be on older daughter's side or she would make comments to younger oh. daughter, be like, why can't you be like her? You know, right. which is something we've also heard in oh, different contexts, yeah. right? Yeah. Triggering. Yeah. Um, and so and uh, it just created a lot of dynamics for the children's existence to mm-hmm. be for the parent. Mm. Um, and we see that even in our generation, right? Like I am talking to a lot of my friends now, um, who have, you know, we've been out of college for five, six years now. They've been working these corporate jobs in IT or, you know, tech and Mm -hmm. finance. And they're like, I did this for my parents. I was like, okay, complying when I was 19 or Mm -hmm. 20, when I was like first making my career decisions. But I like hate it now, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And there's now this like tension because they made life choices to appease their parents Mm. um and they're now realizing that it wasn't the right thing to do Mm. yeah is is that like a uniquely asian phenomenon this like desire to appease the parents or is that kind of universal i would say it's probably exacerbated in collectivistic cultures so Mm. asian culture so it's not just koreans but right like 
just the Asian American population. Right. Um, first, because that is our like cultural foundation, right? Like Confucianism, right. Pa- like piety, family, family piety, um, and then but also for immigrants because like we see our parents having such a hard life, and mm-hmm. that's also why from their own right stress and trauma, mm-hmm. um, they want us to go a path where they did they're not going on, right. you know. And so there's this extreme pressure for their kids, mm-hmm. like don't be like me. But on the other flip side for the child, they are witnessing their parents having a really hard time. Like my parents, we own like a small grocery store for kind of most of my um, adolescence. Mm -hmm. And it was in a low income neighborhood. And I've seen, you know, obviously the robberies and like I, my parents have been held at gun shot, like gunpoint. And they didn't know how to like speak to the police. And right. So like I, even without them telling me there was this witnessing for me of like, oh my gosh, like I don't want to live like that, you know? And like a lot of um, empathy and sympathy of like they must be having such a hard time but they're not like sharing that with me so even Mm -hmm. gratitude of their silence Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it perpetuated a lot of things even for me of like I can't live like this I have to be successful Mm -hmm. and there's no um, there's no room to budge there you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah so there's a a lot of reasons why we are the way that we are right yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. no because i mean it's anyone listening who's asian american knows like a a lot of their career like where they ended up in their career Mm. is influenced by their parents Mm. right you know so is that do you think ultimately that's a negative thing or is that a neutral thing yeah so developmentally that is an area where you still need support and guidance like Mm -hmm. when you're graduating college your prefrontal cortex has not completely developed Mm -hmm. yet it doesn't do so until 25 Um, and so there is a level of involvement that i think it's still healthy Mm -hmm. right um from your especially from your parents Mm -hmm. right because they care the most about you and and um your future and success and happiness um but i think it is Right. Too much of something is always a bad thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And so uh, so folks in our field call that enmeshment. Mm -hmm. This kind of, you know, we're we're talking there's language around what even the experiences that we're talking about. So Asian families tend to be overly enmeshed. And so what this means is like my emotional well-being um, is tied in with your emotional well-being and my my status right as like a human Mm. is tied to your status as a human so like Mm. when your child is a doctor or a surgeon or right like works at microsoft it's like like they our parents identify with that right Mm. and yes there's a level of that that you can be proud of but if your sense of like feeling important to others in your community is Mm. dependent on like what i do and my success um that's over overly enmeshed Mm. yeah yeah and is it true that that's that's not universal right in in terms of like family dynamics asian americans tend to be more meshed than like caucasian families or other families is that true yeah yeah so i think folks from just more collectivistic culture so even black families Mm -hmm. have some of this right Mm -hmm. um uh, definitely like the latinx community you Mm -hmm. know so it's it's mostly like people of color Mm -hmm. and uh and I don't want to say that like white foot families don't experience this at all because if like um, a parent in the family is 
experiencing abuse you mm-hmm. know there's some like interpersonal violence then they have like those kinds of traumas also tend to be connected to like their you know overly being enmeshed with their child if mm-hmm. a child acted in a protective role mm-hmm. against the perpetrator of the violence mm-hmm. and so this can be enacted right for whatever reasons mm-hmm. for a lot of di- in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. um, but in more of kind of I guess like this systematic way where it is like a cultural norm mm-hmm. um, you see that a lot in more of these like marginalized communities I see so um sorry going back to mm-hmm. your phd you're mm-hmm. kind of, so i guess you're what you're trying to prove mm-hmm. is that if you intervene mm-hmm. then these intergenerational traumas can uh, be helped is that is that kind of the basic way of saying it yeah so my chapter two mm-hmm. uh study is um, so there were specific points of intervention that really came up in the literature. Mm. And mind you, there is really not much studied on uh, intergenerational trauma for Asian Americans. Mm. So I was working, I, I was really stretching, uh, you know, uh, but uh, uh, one thing um, that was really prominent was the conspiracy of silence mm. and um, how to intervene. And that is making family communication more robust. And so um, mm. part of that is um, a site. So my intervention comprises of a psychoeducation component which is like okay these are what this is what happened in korea right as korean americans were we feel so removed right from right. the korean war we maybe cry at a korean war movie but that's about it but um when you make it connected to your everyday life experiences and your your relationships mm-hmm. right um that becomes meaningful for folks so there's mm-hmm. an aspect of it that's like i do a small history lesson almost mm-hmm. and then i have an aspect of it that i explain what interest generational trauma is and then how it impacts like us our generation Mm. and then um the latter part of it is this um it's like a kind of like tools of how to um, navigate communication with your parents Mm. and um it's a tool so you can kind of get the ball rolling it's by no means comprehensive but Mm. my intentions are to see if like even um like introducing these concepts Mm. is helpful Mm. in terms of like getting your like brain going and how you can facilitate these conversations because it does um fortunately and unfortunately end up kind of being on us to be initiative of Mm. these conversations um because we are more privileged with like resources for mental health Mm. being english speakers right like having time to have these kinds of conversations um where this can kind of be enlightened for us and so um so my intention for my study is to see if the intervention that i created Mm. is effective in kind of moving that communication forward Mm. wow so you mentioned how like you do like a little history test or mm-hmm. history test, mm-hmm. a history lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, how important is it to know the history of um, mm. like the intergenerational trauma? Yeah. Um, well, first it provides like structure and context, so I think that's important. But also, when I was doing my own, you know, research into like these historical events, mm-hmm. um, it was it was really emotional. It was mm-hmm. really moving. Mm-hmm. Um, there was more there were more bombs that were decimated in Korea during the Korean War than I think in like the entire Asia Pacific during World War Two or something like really? that. Yeah. Oh wow. And um it it killed about 
I think what I read was like a third of the entire civilian population. Wow. Yeah. And so just these, the atrocities, mm. right. And, and even, um, the poverty, right. Like, cause I have my own oral histories of like my grandma eating from the tr- like trash and right. like, you know, and, um, digging through these like rubbles and stuff like that. Cause mm. she was a, like little girl when the war was going on like i have these own oral histories of my family but to know that this was on a like systematic large scale that was experiences of like so many of our grandparents Mm. like i am a part of that Mm. you know i'm a part of that fabric like i look a little different because i lived in the u.s for most of my life but i didn't feel removed as if it was somebody's somebody's somebody else's grandma you know it's like Mm. man this is the history of my own family this Mm. is the history of like my friends like my best friends who i care so much about like this is our shared story together Mm. Mm. and so i think um knowing the historical aspects and um giving it context like that is important for even how it impacts like me Mm. and us and my family and you know um, the immediate people that i care about yeah. yeah. Do you remember there was this one Korean movie? Um, like a lot of people cried during it. It's like the story of a, a, a kid who is like looking for his dad because they get separated when, um, like during the war, and then he <clears throat> like goes through a lot of like hardships to try to like provide for his family. Oh, do, do you I, remember? Th- I didn't. I don't know if I watched that. But oh, shoot, I forget good. the title of Yu-Gi-Oh? it. Yu Gi Oh. I know a lot of people are very like I didn't no, I didn't watch that I'm so bad with pop culture. It was um, yeah. it was like there's like a store in Busan that's mm-hmm. like that the movie like setting was in. Oh wow! Shoot, but anyways, I, yeah. I remember um like we like I watched it with my church. Like, oh, for some reason like I think our someone has like some connection with someone who like can get get oh. us like free tickets. So uh-huh, uh-huh. I remember watching it with our church and then like talking about it afterwards oh. and then. Um, like uh, the protagonist is like our parents or our grandparents' age oh. guy who's like kind of thinking back to his life and like all the things like he had to go through. Oh man! And it's interesting how you were saying like we don't when we hear these stories we don't mm. completely feel totally removed from it. Like mm-hmm. when I hear like Holocaust stories, mm. like it's like really heartbreaking. I feel yeah. sad, but I, it does feel removed from me. Yeah. But when I when I watch that movie, even yeah. though. I like I didn't go through any of it. I was like, oh gosh, like mm-hmm. it's like hitting me differently emotion on an emotional yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. And like I know the the most recent kind of big wave was Pachinko, and so mm. um, like I read the book, loved it, cried a bunch. Mm. But I watched the show. I watched it with my boyfriend, and mm. he was like so pissed mm. when um, you know the Korean people were being mistreated by the Japanese. Mm. It's, it's like as if like it was him, mm. you know, that were being that was being like kicked in the stomach yeah, yeah. and you know being disrespected and mistreated. Yeah. And I like took a step back from that situation i was like oh my gosh like there is a identification here that's happening for him Mm. you know and um and his people and Mm. i don't know if his grandparents were mistreated by the japanese during the colonization you know i don't Mm. know those things but like there is an aspect of like i'm i am you and you Mm. are me you know and and that's i think beautiful you know even through really painful experiences yeah 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 it's it's interesting because um, there's a drama called Mr. Sunshine. Yes, I love that yeah. drama. And it's it's a lot about like uh, the independence fighters, yes. right? Yes. And I watched it, and I, I was like, oh, this is like really awesome. Like I really relate to these people. Mm. But then after the fact, um, 
I remember like my dad was talking to my brother and my mm-hmm. brother lives in Korea okay. and he's a lawyer and uh-huh. they were like talking about something and my dad said something about like yeah I don't think we have any documents so I guess oh, whatever and then he hung up and I was like oh what was that about uh-uh. and he he told me like oh yeah um, he's trying to prove that his grandparents uh-huh. were independent fighters Whoa. who like went to Manchuria yeah. when the like temporary government was set up yeah and um Because, like, later on, the government, like, they gave, like, a stipend to families who were descended from independence fighters. But my, I think my dad was trying to get that done because my my grandfather, Mm. um, his parents had left. Mm. And he kind of, like, spent a lot of time trying to, like, prove it because, like, he wanted to, like, get that kind of, you know, like, get the um, recognition for his parents. Uh But I I don't think he was able to. And then I think Uh. now that my brother's in Korea, my my dad was trying to figure out what, what he could do. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, like, that was, like, when I heard that, yeah. like, even more that's so That's actually now. so cool, yeah. yeah. So, even more so, I'm like, oh, shoot, that's, like... Yeah. But, like, it's 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 interesting that I, I still was able to identify before hearing that story. Yeah. Um, just because, like, oh, these are my countrymen. And yeah. I, and is that is that it, you think? Is it just because, like, oh, they're, they're from the same country as I am? Or is there yeah. something in the intergenerational trauma that, like, links us? No, I, I don't think I would I would say that it's a traumatic effect. I think, um, you know, first, again, the cultural aspects of us being collectivistic is one of them. But there is something in like shared struggle. Mm. Right. And so like even feeling like, you know, my my grandfather is a North Korean defector mm. and uh, my mom actually went on a trip to Korea for free, mm. like this like really recently no last year november or december because korea sponsors a program where the children of north korean defectors um can go on a trip for free they go to the blue house and you know they have all these like events kind of set up for them um and it's clear that even the government right is like kind of honoring of these like shared shared struggle of experiences and so i think that's like the really beautiful thing about collectivistic culture right Mm. like there is a part of like like I honor who you are, you know, and the struggles that you went through because, like, there is an aspect of my life that is improved because, you know, you did this for our country and our people. I think, like, again, too much of some one that too though is mm. a, it can be a bad thing when it kind of imposes on like well-being right and mm. so like i can only be well or you owe me something because of the sacrifice that i made right uh, or because of the things that i've done yeah. um and so because it creates this like level of expectation and responsibility um and it's it's a hard balancing mm. act you know mm. and probably a little bit more difficult for our parents than us but now we have this responsibility of choosing to parent differently or yeah. interact with other people differently mm. and um we're still kind of figuring that out you know yeah. it's a process of navigation yeah. yeah and the other part you know how like you were talking about your boyfriend being really upset at the um the, the scene with the japanese oppression mm-hmm. um so i think so my like my grandfather mm-hmm. he would not let us eat like instant ramen at, at home mm-hmm. um even though like it's made from a korean company it's like instant ramen like the ones we're thinking about it's very korean right mm. but because of the fact that ramen originated in japan wow. yeah yeah like he like there was something like really deep in mm. him that and like he wouldn't let us watch cartoons that mm. were japanese animation like anime uh-huh yeah yeah and so like um i i kind of understand it from that perspective but mm. I, it's interesting because i still see people like our age Mm -hmm. like some of them are like oh i don't want to shop there because that's the japanese company Mm. you know or like there are like 
it's not like outright like racism mm-hmm. of like or like they're inferior to us or anything like that. Yeah, but it's yeah. like very in very subtle ways, like where they try to like distance themselves from like something that's like Japanese. Mm-hmm. Do you think like well, what do you what are your what is your take on that? Yeah, it's it's complicated. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, because you don't want to invalidate the experiences of those that were marginalized. Mm-hmm. So it's even like the black-white relations, mm-hmm. right? And, and like there's not one right answer mm-hmm. um, because, you know, if I think like for white folks, it's like it wasn't me that was your, right. you know, captor and, you know, all, you know, whatever. But they they still we still live in a country where it's as if like j- the Japanese were still in Korea right. and the Koreans were still there. So right. um, I know the context is a little bit different, but you don't ever want to invalidate like the experiences of the people that were oppressed, but mm-hmm. that would be our grandparents' generation, right? Mm-hmm. But like hate can be passed down too, yeah. right? And um, I think for me, my, like my grandma was the same way. I think my first car, like I got like, I got a Volkswagen Jetta mm. when I was trying to get like a Honda because my grandma was like, oh, over my dead body. You know what <laughs> right, I mean? Right. Um, oh, and gosh. so I was like, that's really extreme and dramatic. But it was something that my dad honored, like her mm. opinion in that, you know? So like, even though the Honda was cheaper, she, he was like, well, you know, we're going to go look at other things, <laughs> yeah. you know? And so, um, so I think like there's an aspect of like that kind of thing I don't know, like beliefs and um, values that are passed on. But even with like the Korea and Japan relations, that's also complicating because there's still things going on like with current events, right? Right. Like the comfort women and them never getting like an apology or like ample recognition that this happened, um, the systematic raping and... um, and even with like Tokto, you know, yeah, like there's idea. like, it's mine, it's mine, you know, it's like, it's still happening to yeah. this day. Yeah. And there's just, I don't know, it's not, it's completely gone, right. you know, and um, no level of oppression like really goes away, right? Even like w- within like um, white folks and black folks in America, um, there's still large gaps, right? In wages yeah. or access to resources and education, um, quality education. So, I don't have an answer. Yeah, yeah. But um, it is multidimensional, like a lot of things. But I think the one thing that I would stick by and would want to pass on to like my future children is mm. that like my passing down of like hatred is not a good thing, right. you know. And I don't know if that oversimplifies it, mm. but I don't want to like um, pass down my negative emotions about anything or anyone, right? Yeah. Um, to my kids. Yeah, because no, you you said it so well. It's like it's such a interesting almost like it's like it's a very difficult situation Mm -hmm. right because like you said you don't want to invalidate anyone's Mm -hmm. experience you know and like yeah like we're not so far removed Mm -hmm. that it's impossible that our grandparents who like we've met Mm -hmm. have or like have gone through that kind Mm -hmm. of oppression you know Mm -hmm. so but again yeah it's like you i guess hate is not good Mm -hmm. um so it's it's one of those things where I I really think about like how much of the history mm. do I want to pass down to my kids? Mm-hmm. Um, like, do I want to make it color it so that like they grow hate in their mm-hmm. hearts too? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like that's the most like real way to do it. Mm. Um, or like, do I, you know? padded a little bit mm. so that that hits so it's like it's, it's a very 
Yeah. Interesting, difficult yeah. thing. Yeah. Because, um, like, e- even, like, w- you were talking about current events. Mm-hmm. Like, h- how do we expect the current generation to help, like, those women who mm-hmm. went through that mm-hmm. when they don't have the full context of the situation? Mm-hmm. If we censor anything. Mm-hmm. But, again, like, is it, like, oversharing to mm-hmm. say, like, I don't know. Like, as I'm talking to you right now, I'm kind of processing. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of doing yeah, the, the... The conversation. Pr- right. Like, the, the back and forth. But, mm. no, yeah. It's 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 a... I think... I, I like how you said that we definitely... We don't want to invalidate people who mm-hmm. are in that space. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I, I guess you're saying it's not a right thing to just outright, outright say, oh, like that's wrong like you gotta yeah. stop being so hateful like yeah it's, there's so many layers that we can't just cut right that, right, right yeah, yeah. <sighs> and i think i like you know when i run into these situations where i i like i don't know if i would ever get to an answer there like yeah. Yeah. i think my faith has a big it just plays a big role you yeah. know because i don't think like faith like i don't think god wants us to ever um lessen or shy away from what is true Mm -hmm. and like you know these things really happened you Mm -hmm. know and um i don't think that just shying away from the atrocity is the right answer you know even even in teaching about it to your children um like sheltering them just for the sake of sheltering them right we we see that it's bad you know Mm -hmm. we see that it causes a lot of confusion and identity you know and like um a desire even for the kids to want to understand the experiences of those that came before them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I think because of the gospel and because right, like it, it, it's not like we shy away from how atrocious our sins are before God. Right? right. But like that makes the sacrifice of Christ, right. Which is the bonding glue of all nations. Right. right. And even the ones that were oppressors and the oppressed. Right. Um, <clears throat> I think like, you don't shy away from the atrocities, um, but it makes the reconciliation even sweeter, mm. you know, because we see like this is how much you were bad to me, right, you know, or this right. was how much I was bad to you, you know. Mm. Um, but because right of this bonding glue of like the death and resurrection of Jesus, mm. like even those, you know, the d- d- division that happens in these kinds of contexts, like can be mended, mm. you know, and that's what Christ died for. And so like. I, I, I've had to, I've really struggled with my faith. And I think I said this the last time I was talking mm-hmm. to you. I struggle with my faith being in this field because mm-hmm. like, it's not just, you know, mental health. Like, you know, I am getting such an interdisciplinary education because like these things, historical events or cultural events, um, even current events, you know, like it impacts how we psychologically operate today you know and um i've just had a lot of questions like to god that i couldn't answer Mm. right but like all it's always led me back to like the gospel Mm. and that being truly the truth and the life and the way in a way that i would have never been able to really like have applied if i wasn't going through this training right you know Mm. yeah no because yeah i was gonna ask it's Mm -hmm. You know how you, you, you mentioned, like, there are people who are like, oh, I can pray away this anxiety mm. or, like, this depression, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, like, if you, like, just kind of take uh, our, our faith at face value, mm. doesn't sound like a negative thing, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, like, how, how have you kind of 
navigated that yeah yeah i'm still navigating it uh-huh. <laughs> i haven't you know i haven't felt like okay this is what to do now but um i think right so the human being is made up of three components body uh soul and spirit mm-hmm. and all of these things were created by god and you know the spirit is deposited into us when um you know, when like we profess our belief in Christ, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean like you stop living in your physical body. And it also doesn't mean that you suddenly don't have a soul. And the soul is comprised of your will, mind and emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the aspects that really make us who we are, right? Even our personalities, that's like all kind of housed within the soul. Mm-hmm. And I think like there can be a spiritual issue and they can there can be a soul issue mm. with things like depression or anxiety or even PTSD, right? Mm-hmm. Some of these kind of like internal ills. Um, and, right, we wouldn't tell someone who has cancer to pray away their cancer, mm. right? Like, um, and I've, I've heard of stories of people who have cancer and they have such faith that God's going to heal them that they don't go get chemo mm. or radiation, you know, and then they die of mm. the cancer. Mm. And so, right, like we want to navigate these spiritual conversations, I think, with like a lot of caution and um, yeah. and like consultations with people that are in the mental health field. Right. Like yeah. I think our spiritual leaders um, don't don't do that well Mm. because they want the answer to be what they know which is like ministry or theology or right right, prayer like these ways of god but you know like um i think i think healthcare is a common grace right like Mm. for god for his create from god for his creation and mental health looks a little bit different because it's like soul healing soul care um but that is important and those things should go in junction with one another not um have it be submitted in a in a really hierarchical way as if like one is not needed because of the other so like i think for folks um kind of in the christian community it's you should be praying for your depressed friend, you know, Mm. like God can work in whatever ways he wants to. He can definitely come in that person's room and just lift that depression off. Like, I don't, um, I don't think he's outside of that, you know, Um, but also like, it's not sinful to be taking antidepressants and going to therapy, you know, like just like it's not sinful to go get radiation and chemo if you have cancer, Mm. you know, and and I I know I'm comparing pretty extreme, um, (laughs) like examples Mm -hmm. but you know it's really is like if you think about it in um like your body physical health care right um there are ways that feel so much more acceptable Mm -hmm. than soul care looks like and and i think it would be good for folks to ask like why is that yeah you know yeah i'm I'm a huge advocate um i i went to counseling because i was like feeling anxious Mm -hmm. and I, as a person of faith myself, I, mm-hmm. I went to someone who was Christian as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and something she said to me that still I like think about it and it's like so good mm-hmm. is um, a lot of my anxiety was um, kind of tied to the fact of my, tied to my identity as a father and a mm-hmm. husband and like wanting to provide yeah. and like, like feeling anxiety over like what happens if I can't provide and mm-hmm. like what happens to my daughter if I lose mm-hmm. my job, you know, mm-hmm. these kind of things. And she said to me, um, because she's a Christian, mm-hmm. because I'm a Christian, she said, like, do you feel like um, you're giving in, like enough room for God to be God? Or mm. are you trying to replace God in your daughter's life? That's good. And I was like, oh, gosh. Yeah, 100%. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like, I, I th- yeah, like I wouldn't have been able to get that insight mm. and kind of um, reframe like how I think about these things if I hadn't seeked help, mm. you know, so I, I totally agree. I, I think um, 
this weird like stigma of Christians not seeking out mental health mm. health help. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think is needs to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so. Sorry, I, I know this is such a great conversation yeah. that I, I could take it a thousand different ways, but <laughs> yeah. um, I wanted to take it back to your um, chapter chapter two of your dissertation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you talk about, I, you mentioned the, the timing of intervention. Mm. So for example, for me mm-hmm. and, and my parents, mm-hmm. is it too late to like open up dialogue to kind mm-hmm. of get rid of this, uh, the conspiracy of silence? Mm-hmm. Or like um, if it is too late, like what are the, the most beneficial times mm-hmm. um, to do that, to have that intervention. Yeah, no, so no, it's not too late. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it's ever too late, you mm-hmm. know, to try to make every effort for conversations that are healing, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, at first, actually, when I was designing my intervention, I really wanted it to also serve and benefit the first generation. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I have time constraints of what I would need to defend this by. And right. so like my dissertation, I'm just kind of seeing it as like, the first step into the specialty that I really care about because um, it came about after I got some pretty ex- like uh, extensive training on trauma and PTSD. Mm-hmm. I used to work at um, the Atlanta VA. So I was treating patients with PTSD and like comorbid disorders that were veterans, mm-hmm. you know, so combat, war, rape, like military sexual trauma. And so like, like my project kind of was birthed from like knowing what really works with trauma. Mm-hmm. And um, at first I was like, I got to tell everyone, you know, like I have to go talk to all the harmonies that, you know, like whatever. And and I was super excited, but I unfortunately met some limitations. Mm. Um, But like, so there's definitely ways that I think the first generation can also be initiative of these conversations. But for us, like it's not too late. And I think it just starts with intentionality, Mm. you know, like. Um, I think it's good again first to have context into the first generational first generation experiences um, and you can get that from like from the educational pieces right but even just knowing what you know right like you said you knew when your parents were stressed or there were things that were overwhelming mm-hmm. um, but there was not never a conversation about the why mm-hmm. right and now as like a husband and father yourself there's like you know you you face some of that um, I think like hardship with being a provider and wanting to be financially, you know, stable for your family. And I'm really glad, first of all, that your therapist kind of shared that with you because I would imagine that took a lot of the burden off. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I would bet to say that our parents' generation have never heard those kinds of words, mm-hmm. you know? And so even sharing from like your perspective, like, oh, like I was feeling this way and feeling really pressured and burdened and anxious. Mm -hmm. And um, like, what was that experience like for you? You know, Mm -hmm. dad or Mm -hmm. mom, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and it must've been a lot harder for you because of, you know, like, I'm I'm not sure if they speak English fluently or not. Oh, my parents don't. Okay, yeah, I never want to assume, you know, but it must've been harder for you because of the language and Mm -hmm. like the barriers and you're navigating a whole new country. Like I've lived here all my life, you know, so I relatively know like how to file taxes and, you know, um, Medicaid and Medicare. But like that must've been so hard to like figure out Mm -hmm. and um, just getting their stories, Mm. you know, and seeing like how their dynamic with their parents were, right? Mm. And because they are also somebody's child. Mm -hmm. And um, I think navigating that with intentionality, especially if you have understanding as like a husband and father, I think that even gives you like a greater Mm. advantage of like really being able to connect in a meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. Also like the more closer you 
are in life stage to your parents' life stage, it might be beneficial. Even, yeah, even I think there's pros and cons for yeah. sure. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So it sounds like to me, like the key thing um, for our community who like in, in terms of intergenerational trauma, mm-hmm. people who are trying to kind of heal from that. Mm. It sounds like one of the key asked key things is just communication. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. So if you had to, to the general audience, mm-hmm. give one piece of advice mm. as to how to start maybe or even like maintain that that communication like what would it be yeah Mm, gosh one piece of advice that's hard i'm gonna probably say a very long sentence it can be many pieces of advice (laughs) um i think it's first to know that like these experiences aren't isolated you Mm. know and um there is kind of camaraderie even in the things that you experience. Your parents have probably also experienced mm. it too, you know? And um, I think it does take a certain level of age to see your parents as human beings, you right. know? Um, and But that's why I think the second generation is really well equipped to be able to have these conversations. Because, like, we're about, at least in the Gen Z, you know, like, Gen Z generation, um, they're in their 20s now, right? And so, like, there is an aspect of it, like, where you can see your parents as, like, flawed individual humans that are in need of God's grace, just like yourself. And um, if you approach these conversations from that from that place um then i think it's helpful and healthy and it's a i think it's a universally shared trait that all humans want their stories heard you know Mm. um they want to be listened to and heard and validated and connected with you know like god made us that way Mm. he made us to be known and know others Mm. and um i think a lot of the times especially in asian families the dynamic between the parent and child is is like the child gets 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 Mm. and um and there's never like a connection in terms of like okay like I want to hear you, mm. you know, and I want you to hear me. Yeah. And this feels really impossible because like I either when you are when parents are emotional, they are usually dysregulated, mm. kind of like the example with your dad cuz mm. they stuff it down so much. And so I've never had an intentional or meaningful conversation with you, so this is awkward, mm. but I think like I think getting over that hump, um there's so much that's waiting for you, mm. like and your parents, mm. you know. like so much relational depth and richness reconciliation and connection that it's just like i think it's just worth getting over the awkwardness for um and so to know what's on the other side and the why which is to right like build this bridge between you and your parents that you might never have a chance to do Mm. if you don't approach with intentionality um i think that's a reward in and of itself but Mm. you know even like as like not a parent yet like when i think about how i want to raise my children i want to do it in a way where i'm gleaning the good things from my parents right Mm -hmm. and um and there is you know this bridge of um bridge between the generations Mm -hmm. and i think that's uniquely possible also more in collectivistic cultures and individual ones and i want that legacy to pass on you Mm -hmm. know the good things of it um so yeah i think you know, I don't know if that was concise enough. No, no, that was yeah. great. That was great because for me personally, um, actually, uh, I, I've been talking to my wife about a project I want to do where um, I actually want to sit my dad down mm. with me and then have him share and record his story. Wow. One, because um, I feel like I don't really know it. Mm. Two, um, the way I'm going to sell it is like 
um, I want your grandkids mm. to know your story from love you. It, love yeah. it. Um, and then three, I think it's because it's easier mm. to have those conversations when there's a purpose. Yeah. Like, there's like a context. Right. It's not at dinner. Yeah. Like, yeah. like for me and you, like this conversation, yeah. I would have loved this conversation even if it wasn't for the podcast. Mm-hmm. But it's much easier to be like, hey, like, let's have this conversation because yeah. it's a podcast and yeah. we can share it with other people. So um, I'm hearing that that's a good idea. Yes. What I'm about to do. Okay. Strong support. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, for that's sure. Awesome. That's awesome. Awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's over an hour and I want to respect your time. But before I let you go, I want to ask you about one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I've, um, exp- uh, I've observed about myself mm-hmm. recently. And thinking back, I'm like, oh, I do this a lot. And it's, I guess it's kind of like a confession too. But mm-hmm. one thing I realize I do is when I'm in a non-Korean mm-hmm. setting, mm-hmm. Because, like, a lot of our lives, it's, like, with family or a church, like, a Korean-American church. We're in a Korean setting, so yeah. we can be comfortable. But in, like, a more uh, diverse setting, mm-hmm. I've realized I do this thing where I intentionally speak more mm. to prove that I know English. Oh. You know what I mean? So okay. that, like, we're our family, like, I think, like, and I've been thinking about it, right? Uh. So I think that, like, one of the reasons is because I don't want to be looked at as someone who doesn't know the language mm-hmm. and therefore be looked down upon yes reactions yes i relate <laughs> oh, yeah okay. yeah i mean i already talk a lot korean uh. or non-korean <laughs> korean but uh-huh. um there is a there is an aspect of it for me too that mm. i feel like it's like from a chip on my shoulder you mm. know and um first i understand mm. like that's you know that's like okay and but we like i don't know i think like that makes me sad, mm. you know? That makes me sad that there is an aspect of it that we still have this lack of sense of belonging, yeah. and that's perpetuated both by the larger society because Asian Americans are, you know, erased in a lot of ways. Mm. Our identities, our cultures, our historical presence in the U.S. Um, but also it's this, like, internal thing, right? Internal place of insecurity um, because we never really know if we have belonged, yeah. you know? And I think that is, like, very characteristic of the second-generation experience. Like, mm. I don't feel like I'm Korean when I go to Korea, you know? And mm. as soon as people find out that I am, like, I live in the U.S., even though I speak Korean, like, well enough that people don't think I'm, like, like a, yeah. you know, foreigner, yeah. they're like, oh, my gosh, can you say something in English? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. You know, it's yeah. like, like, I just have such a weird warped experience of yeah. the same things I experienced in the U.S. Like, oh, my gosh, can you say this in Korean? Right. You know, like, right. so I hear you. I think that is just kind of the in-between that we, like, will always live in. Mm-hmm. But I would ask, like, if I were you, mm-hmm. I would ask myself, has there been an experience, whether it's at this company or any other like work setting that has made me feel inferior that Mm. has made me feel like I have to um, like do more Mm. right excel more or be noticed more Mm. and I would kind of process through that memory because Hmm. like even the language thing it's probably just like a fruit of Mm. like that experience Mm. um, and not because of like your actual insecurity about speaking English because You speak English great, right. you know? So it's weird because it, it actually happened at, like, Universal Studios. Like, oh, it was at a theme park. Yeah. Like, we were just, like, sitting down eating. With your coworkers? No, no, no. It was oh. no, nothing to do with... That's interesting that you think that. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. It's because it's like that for oh, me. Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, I'm at school. I'm like... That's interesting. No, it might have to do with the fact that it was my Korean 
cousins came to visit like two weeks ago, oh. uh, like straight from Korea. So obviously we were speaking Korean, but then I think in that like we were sitting down eating, yeah. um, and then oh I, wow, so it was just in your like free time. Yeah, yeah. Oh so, wow, like, that's even then, more interesting. Yeah, because like I I would uh, mm-hmm. as we're like talking, hanging out, like I would intentionally say things that I could easily say to my wife in Korean, Korean? Mm-hmm. but I, I would switch it up to English mm. and like make my like diction like perfect mm. right use like, like big R. words <laughs> yeah. right right like L. like i yeah. am a native like yeah. english speaker yeah. kind of yeah. like to 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 kind of try to prove that yeah, yeah. so yeah yeah i i don't know and and to like think about that question i don't, I don't know i would have to think deep to see right. if there was something that happened in that yeah. context yeah 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 but yeah. yeah it's it when you said um the the whole othering thing it did feel like I was at like a like the something that I, I think um, I could explain to someone is like if if I was at like a, a Hawks game mm-hmm. and like I, I'd see that everyone around me is is a Hawks fan because they're mm-hmm. wearing all the jerseys. It it was me speaking English was um, the act of me putting on a Hawks jersey. Yeah. 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 Like, to make sure everyone there like knew, knew I was one of them, oh. kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I'm oh, curious, like what, like when you kind of reflect on that, mm-hmm. like that memory, what, 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 what was the hypervigilance about? Like if they didn't mm-hmm. think, you know, you were a native speaker, you didn't speak English, right? Oh, that's interesting question. I, I think it was about protection for like my family and my cousins, mm. like almost as if. Like if all of us are othered, mm. then something could happen to us. Okay. But if they know that at least wow. I'm one of them, yeah. then like we won't be a target for something. Okay. What kind of danger do you think your family could have faced? You know. Oh, okay. I know what it is. Mm. Um, so this brings me to a memory I have. Uh, I've I've talked about this on the podcast a few times. So mm-hmm. if you're a regular listener, sorry, bear with me. Um, <laughs> But uh, when I was in elementary school, uh, we were living in L.A. And Mm. my mom had parked her car like on the side of our apartment. Mm. And me and my brother were coming out to get into the car. Mm -hmm. But her window was open like this much. Mm -hmm. And some kid like threw a water balloon at her. (gasps) And like she got wet. So um, we knew exactly where they lived. So um, my my mom was like, we're going to go to the like apartment like complex office and complain about those neighbors. But when we went there, like, we couldn't really articulate it well. Mm. Like, even though, like, and, and me and my brother, we were speaking the, like, we were speaking the language. But imagine, like, a middle-aged woman, yeah. like, speaking something. And then, like, her two, like, elementary school kids, like, trying to, like. Trying to. Yeah. Mm. So, like, I, re- I don't remember that getting resolved that well. Wow. Um, so, I, I wonder if it's something like that. Like, yes. trying to protect my family from something like that from happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That makes sense because... Like I think I said this actually the last on the last episode I was on, mm. but you know our parents come to this country and they're deaf and they're mute, mm. you know, and they're navigating a system that they're completely unfamiliar with, mm. and that leads to a lot of experiences of powerlessness. Mm. And even as a child, experiencing your mom being powerless in that situation when she was clearly like targeted, yeah. um, that's hard because we identify our mothers primarily as our caregivers, yeah. and so when you're powerless. I'm powerless, right. right? And so, like, and a lot of folks, you know, from the Korean community and a lot of, like, you know, Asian communities, we grow up with, like, we have to never be powerless, mm. right? But that's hard because we are still, you know, we're still 
marginalized and there are still experiences that we go through that um, folks that are not from immigrant backgrounds don't have to go through but mm. it's even that right it's it's a form of like mini trauma right mm. it's like a like a like a lowercase t because like that could lead to danger it, you know it was a water balloon but what if it wasn't right. you know and right. um and that kind of hypervigilance 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 is actually one of the symptoms of PTSD, right? Always feeling like I'm oh, I'm gonna be in danger, so I have oh. to like overcompensate, or I have to like avoid certain things, or you know. Huh. So yeah. Wow. You yeah. know what's funny? <laughs> yeah. Um, I sometimes uh like I like say something to my wife uh. about like her not being vigilant enough. Oh. I'm like, hey, can you be more self-aware? Like, yeah. I, I, so that's yeah. oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. I mean, men experience this more because uh. they are by nature more like protectors right uh-huh. Uh-huh. um but there's aspects of it that is also i think like culturally informed oh wow yeah sorry that was meant that's to another be... episode yeah no, that was meant to be a quick question <laughs> yeah. <but laughs> yeah well um yeah. good luck on finishing yes. up your dissertation thank, thank you. you so much for making the time to be here and i'm sure i'm gonna invite you again because yes. i feel like we just scratched the surface today yeah, yeah so. absolutely yeah thank so, you for having me um for any listeners um if they're curious uh, are you okay with them reaching out to you yeah yeah, yeah for uh, sure i'll uh, i'll drop your email in the episode description but uh uh thanks guys for for listening and um yeah wow thanks thanks for the conversation that was amazing thank you for having me yeah all right talk to you guys later guys bye talk to you guys later guys what is that